Hi, guys. Can't believe this is our last time together, huh? Ah, this is it. But for those of you that know the Lord, we have an eternity to hang out if I don't see you, right? Let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And all these things are referring to the two incidences of miracles before where the centurion's servant is healed and a widow's son is brought back to life. Two amazing, powerful miracles. And John, calling two of his disciples, this is John the Baptist, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent to us saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he said to them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And he quotes Isaiah 29. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask you that in our infinite, endless sight of the brokenness in this world and in our lives, that we would not doubt your goodness and your work that we would become part of what we, you have asked us to be, to be your disciples that is a light unto this world. Grant us this time when we gain clarity, where our hearts burn within us as you open the scriptures and remind us that you are God. And so we thank you, we praise you because you have given it all that we may have life and life abundant. We praise you, we thank you in Jesus' name. Let me ask you, what are some of the things that just make you sigh, groan? This sighing is this inward like, ah! Can you guys do that with me? Ah! Like, it's not just screaming. It's like from right here. You should feel it in the gut, in your, like the bottom of your gut. You're like, ah! Okay. That doesn't sound like a sigh. That sounds like, I have a stomach ache. Ah. 
What are the things that take the wind right out of your sail? I'm talking about something that causes you to lose breath. Just stop breathing because you're devastated by what you've seen, what you read. What is something that takes the joy right out of you? You could go from someone who's just celebrated something to all of a sudden being like, ah! For me, when I read accounts of child abuse, when I read about trafficking of, trafficking of children, it destroys me. And inside, every joy that I had just watching basketball or golf or whatever, it all disappears in one second. And from within, I stop breathing and I go, why? Because it reminds me of my daughter and all the pain it took to bring her into this world. And so when I read it, there is just deep anguish and it takes all the air out of me. As I read every heart ripping words of parents who write about their children suffering from cancer, following this little girl, and as she is passing away, and the parents can't do anything, and as she writes that every word, every pain-gripping word, it grips my heart. It takes the air right out of me. You know that this world is broken, and this isn't the way it's supposed to be. When I look at myself, Myself who has been a Christian for a long time, myself who was just like you attending retreats, myself who've heard pastors and preachers and I would kneel and I would begin to cry and snot would come out of my nose and I would tell God, God, I want to live for you. Send me, send me to the nations. When I look at myself and I'm still stubborn, when I'm still broken, when I'm always hard on myself, when I'm selfish, when I'm insecure, when I don't love people well, I go, ah, still Why? Why am I still like this? I should have learned by now. When I listen to politicians and world leaders and they get up and they're so blind because they have their own agendas and they're not thinking about the hurting people who elected them, it breaks my heart. When I look at this world, I say, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. In this story, we see Somebody whose heart is always breaking. He went into the wilderness and he wrestled with God and he loved God and he spent all his time thinking, praying, and being with God. And when he came out, the words he said was, repent for the kingdom of God is here. John the Baptist didn't mince words. He baptized people. He was fierce. He would tell people and look at the leaders of the church and everybody as they were coming down and he would be like, what are you doing here? brood of vipers, trying to escape judgment. And he was so fierce about the changes that needed to come, that the people needed to repent, that the kingdom was coming, the Messiah was coming. He was certain. And he would look at the king that he had, and he was fooling around, stole his brother's wife. And in his heart, the grief against God. He just couldn't take it. He was going after everybody who was living such sinful lives and was saying, can't you see it? Can't you see the brokenness of the world? Repent. And so he went after even the king. Repent. And you know what he got for it? He was jailed. And he was going to be killed. We see in this story, John the Baptist, who even Jesus calls the greatest man 
born of a woman. And he was in prison for fighting for the kingdom of God. This text messed me up because it sounded like there were two miracles that Jesus did and it was with the widow and it was with a centurion servant and he healed them both. And then his disciples came and reported these two miracles and then all of a sudden John the Baptist from jail sends his disciples and asks him to tell Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we wait for another? This was confusing for me Because when I read the miracles, I thought when it was reported back to John that it would be encouraging to him. Wouldn't it be encouraging to hear that the Messiah was doing miracles to heal the people? Wouldn't John, sitting in jail, would say, even though I'm sitting here, Jesus is still out there and he's healing. Healing and raising people from the dead. Praise God. But something about these two miracles messed up John's heart so bad. And I don't know if he was under stress because he was in jail and he was about to die. But something inside of him was so depressed and dark and just in everything that he's gone through that he asks his disciples to come and to ask Jesus, Are you the one to come or should we wait for another? Is there someone else we're waiting for? And many of you are sitting here and you're like, this retreat, is it about Jesus? Is Jesus going to change my life? Or should I wait for something else? Is there someone better coming? Is there another speaker coming? Is there another Sinai coming? Is there something that is going to change my life? And is it not this? Is it not Jesus? Is it not the way he's being presented? And your heart is saying the same things because there's darkness in your heart. I've talked to some of you and some of you have said, I have so much pain, pain from my families. And when you brought up what happened with your dad, it triggered this deep hatred for my own family. And it caused me to be so angry. I can't let that go. Is there something I'm waiting for? Is there something that's going to heal me? Is there something that's going to fix my family? Are you going to tell me what that is? Why was John doubting after these two miracles? The world is broken. The world is falling apart. And in John the Baptist's mind, the Messiah was supposed to come and he was supposed to be powerful and he was supposed to restore everything back. He felt like all that he was preaching, all that he was fighting for, everything that prepared him for all his life that he was doing and he was sitting, rotting in jail and there was this person that he had placed all his hope, the promised one who would bring the kingdom. What made him doubt? What about these two miracles messed him up? John the Baptist pursued the king and asked him to repent and turn back to God. John the Baptist was rotting in jail because he was bold and courageous and he wanted everything, all the world, to acknowledge God again and repent. And then he heard that Jesus went and he went to a centurion's servant and healed him. Did you know that a centurion is an army leader of the Romans? 
the very pagans who suppressed God's people and conquered them. He led the armies that wiped out army after army and put Israel under their submission. And they worshiped not God, but they worshiped many gods. They were polytheistic. And this man was a part of that army. He was the enemy. He was the very people that the Messiah was supposed to come and overthrow. The Messiah supposed to come and lead like King David and restore Israel back to its glory. But instead, he helped that army leader's servant and healed him. Why would you do that? And then the second miracle he did and the time that he spent was with the widow. Widow is the lowest individual in that time. When they had lost their husband, there's no income. When they had nothing except she had the son to support her and her son died, now she had nothing. They don't even mention her name and she lost her son. Why would the Messiah who is to bring the kingdom and restore Israel and his glory spend his time on a widow that no one cared about. John spent all his time going after the big things and asking the entire nation to repent. And Jesus went after a centurion's servant, those who cleaned the feet of the guests, and a widow that no one cared about. For John, it must have seemed like this is not the action of the Messiah that we had been waiting for. In all his distraught, in sitting in jail, in all his suffering, there must have been doubts flowing in his mind. And many of you sitting here, the same thing. There must be doubts arising all the time, thinking, is this how my life's going to be? Am I ever going to heal? Am I ever going to do anything? Is God going to bring healing in my family, in my heart, my past? Am I ever going to feel you? Am I ever going to believe? Am I ever going to be powerful enough to live the way that I read in scriptures? What Jesus was doing didn't make any sense, and it filled his heart with doubt, just like many of you. But Jesus tells him, I am here. I am healing. I have brought the kingdom, and he reminds him. Mark chapter 7 describes Jesus and that Jesus was not oblivious to the brokenness in this world. I'm going to turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Did you know that there are parts in the Bible where Jesus groaned? Did you ever read that? I skipped over all those verses. I think I read the Bible multiple times, but I skipped over the parts where it said Jesus sighed. Did you know that there are parts like that? Mark chapter 7, verse 31. This is an instance. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, And went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had speech impediments. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside to the crowd privately. This is the part that I remember. I don't remember him sighing, but this is the part I remember. Because it says, Jesus took this guy who was deaf and couldn't speak and just was all tongue-tied. He put his fingers in his ears. I was like, oh, why? And then it says, and after spitting, he put it on his tongue. So imagine Jesus with this guy who's suffering, and he's like, this is what Madison does to me. 
It doesn't make any sense. And then why? He went, and he grabbed his tongue. And then in verse 34, grabbing his tongue, looking up to heaven, what does the Bible say? He sighed. Up to this point, it seems comical that he's grabbed the tongue and then Jesus goes, ah! If I was there, I would be like, is he mad at that guy? Why is he sighing? And he says, Ephatha, be opened. And his eyes were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak, and that again from Isaiah. What was it? Why did he cry out? Because God had created all of us. The tongue was created for worship. The years to hear the word of God, our hearts to know and see God face to face and rejoice and worship. But instead, he was holding a man who could not hear. He couldn't hear the word of God. He couldn't hear about the glory of his creation. He couldn't hear about who God was. And his tongue tied so he couldn't worship. And Jesus held his tongue because he was there when he created this tongue. And he said, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he said, ah, this isn't it. This isn't what I created. And you and me, we aren't supposed to love sin. You sitting in this room, you aren't supposed to look at things and say, I long for those things. Like a person who's lost, who's longing for pig's food, like the younger son, you aren't created for that. You aren't created to live a life just pursuing sin, living in sin, in the shame and guilt, and turning back around like returning to vomit as the Bible described it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You weren't meant to hate yourself every time you looked in the mirror. You weren't meant to cut yourself because you were in so much pain and you can't feel anything. You weren't meant to throw up until your throat bleeds just so you can fit into a gene, just to be a size. You weren't supposed to have broken relationships with your parents and hate them from the core of your being. You weren't supposed to lose your parents and your siblings and friends to cancer and drugs. You weren't supposed to love alcohol and drugs more than the Lord. And so John is doubting because he's looking at Jesus doing these things with widows and these broken people. And he's saying, aren't you supposed to do more? Aren't you supposed to change the world? Isn't the kingdom supposed to flip upside down? And in a moment of weakness, he sends his disciples and says, tell me there is something else. And Jesus heals and he reminds them, my father has said that my son would come, my servant, my Messiah would come, and he would heal, and he would take the deaf, and he would make them hear, and he would take the tongues that are tied, and they would see, and that people would hear the gospel again and return to the Lord. 
remind him, tell him. And how was he going to accomplish this? Mark chapter 8, shortly after his sighing, he begins to tell people. Mark chapter 8, 31, he begins to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and then be killed and after three days rise again. So he died to bring healing and brokenness. To bring healing for all the brokenness in this world that we experience, Jesus died on the cross. And on that day, on that glorious day that we sing about, you know that song? We sing about the emptiness of the cross and and, and the risen Savior. And when the beat is going and all of our heart is saying, and death has lost its power. When death was crushed and hope for all the saints that had died and were martyred before, when Jesus died on the cross, there was sadness and grieving. And yet we knew that on that cross, all of our sins were paid for. And three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, the saints, us, all of us, are raising our hands and saying, He is risen. Sin has no longer power over the saints. And the death... It is broken. He is risen. Indeed, he's risen. And it gives us hope for the future. Yoke of sin and death is broken now. And so we rejoice. Jesus died for our sins. And he rose again to remind us that one day we will rise with him. And then I thought, what was his big plan? What did Jesus do on this earth that prepared for all the brokenness in this world to be reversed, for the kingdom to be seen, for it to be a light unto the world? What was Jesus doing that was so powerful that he would leave us? He tells us what we should be doing. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 19, he says this, here is my plan. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. For 30 years, he was a carpenter, And then for three years, what did he do to change the world, to bring change into this world? He spent his time with 12 men. And then I was like, what kind of stupid plan is that? Right? John the Baptist wanted the kingdom to be flipped upside down and he would give his life for it. And I was thinking, why was it so frustrating? And then I started to think about what was the grand plan that Jesus had. And then it came down to 12 people. He spent the majority of his life with 12 people. And then majority of the time with three. And then as he would leave, he would say, go and do the same. And in the eyes of those who would look, it seemed like what kind of plan is that? 
But then I started to think about it. Why am I here? How did I, a Korean American, get here to preach the good news to you? My youth pastor, Brother Hong, he's a big guy. I mean, from Hawaii, like big, big guy. As he was going through his army, pastoring and things like that, a tragedy happened. The reason why Brother Hong came to our youth group, and you know, our youth group was tiny. We had maybe five, six people, and people would constantly leave. And I remember there was a time when my brother and I, my older brother, we were the only youth group members in the church. And we would sit at the downstairs room and stare at the coffee. Because we knew that this was what church was. Sunday you come, and then you sit, and you look, and you wait for the donuts and the coffee, and we were waiting. And one day, my brother and I were like, you know what? Why don't we do something bold? Let's go upstairs to the service. So we went up to the service, and we sat down. And then all of a sudden, one of our elders got up, and he was like, let's pray. And then I closed my eyes, and then he just began to pray, and he prayed for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And I was like, oh my gosh, doesn't he pray at home? Like, what is he, he's like praying for here and there, and he was going on, and he was using giant words, and I couldn't understand. And so my brother and I were like, you know what, we can't do it. It was in Korean, I don't understand it. So we went downstairs, and we spent the rest of the time like this, waiting and waiting for the coffee to come and for the donuts to come. We kept having youth group pastors come in and out. And one youth group pastor would come and he said, we're going to change the culture of our church. We're going to go skiing. And then everyone was like, yay. All four of us like, yeah, yeah. And then they were like, we're not only going to go skiing. We're going to go to King's Dominion, the amusement park. And we were like, amusement park. You know, and we gave each other fives. And then after six months, he would leave. We get another pastor, and he would say a whole bunch of other things, and then he wouldn't even stick long enough. And then we would get another pastor and another pastor. The way that my youth pastor, Brother Hong, came into my life was that his mom worked in D.C., and she was shot and killed at her store. So he came... She, he came to do all the things for the family and make the funeral arrangements. And when he came to church, my senior pastor said, would you stick around and would you be the youth pastor for this group? And so he came. One of the first things that Brother Hong did was he came into the room with all of the youth group members and he stood and said, if I ever say anything against the word of God, then I am wrong. And in that moment, there was a part of me The spirit inside of me said, there is a man who submits to the word of God. Something peaked inside of me. The spirit inside of me wanted more of this. And so Brother Hong was crazy. I mean, this guy would start showing up to church and he would say, hey guys, next week we're driving to Mexico. And I was like, we're going to do what? All of us are going to get in the car and we're going to take turns and drive to Mexico and do missions in Mexico. And so we would get in the car, buy camping food, 
put a bunch of clothes for the people, hide Bibles, you know, for the Mexican people, and we were driving down, and then we would get to the border, and the people would say, for every Bible that you brought, all hundred, we need five dollars for each Bible, and we were like, we paid a dollar for that Bible. We don't have $500, and we would sit, and we would agonize, and Brother Hong would come and say, hey, I want you to start praying. And so we would sit and we would pray and pray and pray and people would keep coming and saying, you can't pass by. Then we would climb the mountains and hand these Bibles to the people and we would preach the gospel and we would see that people would begin to cry out before God and I would witness these things. And as I begin to walk with him and see him make radical changes in our life, We weren't playing softball. We weren't going out to King's Dominion. These aren't the things that excited us. We would find a young man sitting in a chair. His leg was decaying because he went to the hospital and he had a broken leg and the bone was sticking out and the hospital wouldn't fix his leg. And Brother Hong would say, let's gather together and let's pray for him. And not only that, let's collect all the money we bought for our souvenirs for our families and let's take him to the hospital and get his leg fixed. We took a stranger, took him to the hospital and we got his leg fixed. Someone would come and say, while we're at the hospital, there's a man who's sitting there, and he's in a coma. Can you guys pray for them? Are you guys mission? And we would lay our hands on the window, and we began to pray and say, God, bring life to this man. And then our missionary, Oscar, would be like, you know what? That's it. God wants us to go. We began to drive, drive to an orphanage so we can preach the gospel and do VBS. We would get rejected by the orphanage and say, The kids aren't ready. Go back. And we spent an hour there, hour back. And for those two hours, we sat in the van and we were like, is this God's will? Is this what we're supposed to do? And our missionary and pastor would be like, start praying. And we began to cry out when we cried out like, God, what is it that you're doing? And after the two hour drive, we came back to the hospital and the mother of the son whose leg was broken would run out of the hospital. And she came into the van and she said, I must receive Christ. Why would you, children from America, teenagers, give all of your souvenir money for my son who is a nobody? I must receive Christ. And right there we laid hands on her and we prayed and we said, God, have mercy upon this soul. Would you save her? And she received Christ and rejoiced. Then someone else would run out and said, the man who was laying there in the coma is recovering. After we left, all the levels and indicators began to go down. And now their family wants to meet with you. They want to worship with you and say, how can you come to us like this and yet offer what is it that you have? What is it that you believe in? Why would you pray for us? For the two hours we were gone, Holy Spirit was working in the hearts of the families of these two. And as we returned, I witnessed broken people desiring to receive Christ. And again and again, as I followed this man, he would show me again and again. And he would say, let's go, let's hike. One time we hiked for eight hours straight. He said, nobody in that village has heard the gospel. 
And we climbed up that mountain. And then as we were going, somewhere closer to the mountain, the missionary was like, "Mm, forgot to tell you, but there's a chance that they might not invite us in. And I was like, but we just hiked like seven hours. Like what? And he was like, don't worry, you know, God's got it. And then he would begin to pray. And he would be like, now let's pray. And we started crying out to God, God, would you open doors, open doors. And when we got there, the missionary came out and he was like, they're not going to let us into the village. And we were all like, oh, we sat exhausted, tired, carrying all the medical supplies, VBS things, just crushed by this. And then the missionary and Brother Hong would be like, let's pray. So we would have a prayer meeting right in front of the village. And we were like, God, God, do something. Save the souls of these people. And then someone from the village would come out and they would say, there are people in this town who want to come to you and hear what you have to say because you were willing to hike up to this mountain. And so the few families came out and we began to preach. They asked me to share my testimony and I remember going up and be like, you know, I had a choice, either go to football camp because I was going to be the starting running back of our high school or come to this mission trip. And I would tell them, I really didn't want to come here. I really, 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 you know what? There's no part of me that wants to hike eight hours up, almost dying, to just tell you about Jesus. But God wants to tell you about himself. So he brought me here, this teenager who hates anything that's not comfortable, and I'm here to tell you that Jesus is worth it. People would get saved. We saw salvation after salvation, and we were like rejoicing. I remember this one time we went up, and this family was so poor that they didn't have a house, and they would rip the bark off the tree and chew on it because they were just trying to keep their stomach. They would boil grass and drink that water. I mean, they were the poorest of poors, and we went up, and we thought we were going to encourage them. And, but the guy came out, and he said, hey, The guy wants to sing a song. The youth group members, all of us, we got around. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to lead worship. So I started thinking I was going to get ready. And he was like, no, no, no. The man wants to worship. Lead us in worship. So we got around and I was like, oh, it's going to be awesome. He went, grabbed his guitar. His guitar was rusty. It was just strings were broken. I mean, it looked like the worst guitar in the world. But in my heart, I was like, you know what? When he starts to sing this is going to be it. It's going to be the most beautiful voice I've ever heard that God had been saving this man for this very moment. And so all of the youth group gathered together and we were sitting there and he grabbed the guitar and he strung the guitar and he started singing. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is the worst voice I have ever heard. Right? He was like, Bade! and you know, was, everything was off key, and he was like singing the loudest he can. And I was like, What song is this? Is he making it up? And he was just like singing and singing and singing. And I was like, Oh man, we're gonna have to give him our guitar, we're gonna have to teach him worship songs. This is horrible. And he started singing, and I was like, I asked the missionary, like, what is he singing about? Why is he just 
crying out from the bottom of his soul, needing to worship, knowing that he has a horrible voice. Like, what is it? And he begins to tell the story, and he said, this man has a daughter, and the daughter has a rare blood disorder, and this blood disorder crippled her, and she could no longer move, and there was a chance that he was going to die. And he talked about how he held his daughter, and he cried out to God because he had nothing, not enough money. That every time he would go to the hospital and borrow money, they would send him back and say, when you have enough money, come back. And so he would come, and he would hold his daughter, and he would say, God... Now it is only up to you. There is nothing more I can do for my daughter. She is in your hands. And he started talking about how he cried out to God. And as he was telling the story, I was like, so what happened? What happened? What happened to the little girl? And the father turned his head and pointed at a little girl. And this little girl was running. She was chasing her brothers, like punching them. She was running and screaming. And then as soon as I saw her running, like tears started like streaming down my face. And I was like, that's her? You cried out to God? That's her? And I just wept and wept and wept. And this high school student who couldn't believe that I had witnessed this, I ran back to my van, and I remember I gathered, you know when you go on mission trips, they give you a bag of goodies, you're like, keep your energy up, you must eat along the way, and you know, they're gonna give you food, and you're gonna die if you eat their food, so make sure you eat the granola bars and drink this, so I gathered like all my stuff, and I was like, and I went to this little girl, and I put it all in her hands, and in my broken Spanish, I was like, hola, chica. And I was like, este por tu, right? And I was like, por todos, es tu, right? And then I told her, I was like, no, 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 hermanos, right? Don't give it to your brothers. I was like, eat it all for yourself. As I was weeping and I gave it to her, I remember as a high school student who loved only girls and football, like lived my whole life just for those two things, I sat in that van, and we were driving back for another six hours. I had given away all my food. Everyone else is eating, and I'm like starving because I gave it all away, and I was there, and I was weeping, and all the rest of the mission team was like, uh, it was like, why, why is Bobby crying? And I was, I kid you not, I was in the presence of God. There was no one there except me and God. And I wept and wept and wept and wept. And I said this, and I didn't even know what this word meant, but it said, God, I make a covenant with you because I heard brother Hong say a couple times. Sounded like promise, like a big, big promise. So I was like, God, I make a covenant with you that if you keep this girl walking, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Because here, here I've seen you. At home, I'm wrapped up in my own life, in football, in, in, in popularity, and girls, and I was consumed with everything. But here, I saw you. I saw a father cry out for his daughter because he had nothing but God. And I saw her walking, and I saw the things that I read, and I saw it 
in reality, I saw people come to salvation, and I'm asking you, if you would keep this girl walking, I will give all of my life. And I wept and wept and wept in that van, and I promised God, and his presence was so sweet, This youth pastor who lost his mother took a young boy who was obsessed with girls and football and wanted nothing to do with him. And he brought him into his house. He fed him Popeyes. Every day we would eat Popeyes. We got so fat, he would eat Popeyes and I would just eat with him all the time. He's not perfect by any means, but when I looked at him, I knew that he loved God and that God loved him. There was no doubt. This man ministered only at small churches, only in youth groups with four or five people, and his disciples rejected him. His students thought he was too radical, too crazy, did crazy things to pursue God, went on mission trips, no ski trips. He was destroying youth ministry because all he talked about was Jesus and all we did was pray and read the Bible. But there there was a part of me that couldn't let go of a man who so deeply, passionately loved Christ and Christ alone. I remember this one instance. I was at his house, and Brother Hong and Sister Hong started fighting. I have to tell you. And they're like, blah, blah, blah. And then I was sitting there. You know, if, if you're ever the third person when a couple is fighting, it's really awkward. Like, you're like, <gasps> right? And like, they're just like going at it. And I was like, I'm here. Pastor, <laughs> like right here, right? And they're just fighting and fighting. He was like, Bob, let's go. Right? And then, so we got in his Hyundai Elantra and we were like driving away. And, you know, Sister Hong was mad. Brother Hong was mad. And as we were driving, I remember, like, I don't know what got inside of me. The Holy Spirit I, empowered me and encouraged me. And I was like, Brother Hong, you're wrong. <laughs> Sister Hong is right and you have to apologize. You're wrong. He's a big dude. (laughs) He could have kicked me out of the car, never talked to me again, abandoned me. He went silent. He bowed his head and he said, You're right, Bob. I'm wrong. And I was like, Why would why would a grown man listen to this teenager? This pastor of authority, why would you listen to me? I was blown away by his humility. And then he looks at me and goes, Bob, what do you think I should do? And I was like, I'm not married, man. What do you want me to tell you to do? And then I was like, oh, I think you should get some flowers. And so we drove to Giant. 
And he bought like, you know the plastic flowers that are like five of them and it has the barcode on it, you know, like that flower? Like he grabbed that and he was like, it's all I can afford, Bob. (laughs) And he bought it and he brought it home. And I watched this man, this courageous, bold man who would give his life for the gospel, present his wife with this giant flowers in his hand. And he said the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry and I was wrong. He listened to a young boy who knew nothing, who only loved girls and football, who was deep to the core, broken and sinful, and he submitted to God. In my life, eating Popeyes, watching him apologize to his wife, climbing the mountains of Mexico and preaching the gospel, seeing healing and brokenness come back alive. I witnessed one man love Christ with all that he had. You know how crazy he is right now? He is trying to break into North Korea so he can preach the gospel to the North Koreans. He, was, he called me one day and he was like, Bob, And he doesn't even mess around. He's like, he didn't ask me how my daughters are. Congratulations. He was like, Bob, I need money. (laughs) He was like, like, I need money and support for North Korea missions. I was like, I got you, brother. (laughs) Just send me the address. And then, and he also wept with me when my wife left. He said, I'm so sorry. What was Jesus' plan to change the world? He sat and ate with 12 and then three most of all, and he poured out his life and he gave it all, and he showed them what it is to walk and to see the kingdom come and for the tongues to be reversed and for hearts that are broken to be healed. And he let them watch, he equipped them, and he said, do the same as I have shown you to do. And those 12 went out and changed the world and all of the world has changed and change after change after change. And Brother Hong was saved and then Brother Hong came into my life and preached the gospel through his life and that is the reason why I'm here. That's the reason why some of you came to me and said thank you for preaching the gospel and sharing your life. It has touched me deeply. I am here because of one person's sacrifice to take on a youth group that no one wanted. I am forever changed. Because one man lost his mom and decided for three, four kids that no one wants, I will give all of my life. I preach with all of my heart to you because one man said that I will give it all for the kids that no one wants. And I want you to know that this was the big plan. Jesus sat with three and loved them so deeply and showed them that the kingdom is now here, that I have broken the chains of sin and death. And I will show you by the way that I love you. 
And they, in turn, did it to the next three. And then they, in turn, did it to the next three. And that is the reason why you're sitting in this very room. Korean Americans who are nowhere near Israel. Gentiles. You're here. Because the three were loved by our Savior. This is your calling for the rest of your life. To love the broken in front of you because Christ loved the broken in front of him. Let's pray. You know, I, when I talk to Brother Hong, every single time I tell him this, every time I get up to preach, every college youth student, young adult parent that I teach, every counseling session that I have, every life that has ever been changed, it's because you have loved me. You have loved me as Christ has loved you. And you have asked me not to celebrate you, but to celebrate the Savior that has loved you. You have never asked anything of me. But to see my life be transformed by the same Christ who has loved him and has given his life for him. So let's pray for those of you that need to. You can stand up. You can find a space. Wherever you need to go to be comfortable to pray, I want you to do that. If you want to kneel before your seat, if you want to go out to the open space, I want you to do that. I know that there are a lot of things that you're thinking about. This world is so broken, and I, in my gr- gut, in my groan, in my own life, I, I know that this world is broken. I don't know how you're going to fix it, God. I don't know how you're going to bring about revival. I don't know how you're going to change this world because it keeps being broken. The church is broken. Outside of the church is broken. My family is broken. What are you doing? God, how are you changing the world? And he says, I began to love three of them. And I've asked them to love those that I place in their care. This is my work. This is my call. Go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Reconcile, love, forgive, 
see him face to face, the good, good father who loves beyond, who would give his only son, talk to others about me. Repent. Walk away from sin that so easily entangles. He says, come. Do that with the few that I place in your care again and again and again and again. To the one person who was a poor, selfish, narcissistic, football-loving, girl-loving kid that no one should care about, God sent one man to say he's broken. Love him as I would love him. And that would change the course of his life forever. He is and has already begun and the kingdom is here and we are going towards the day when he returns when he will make all things new again but until that day we are loving one individual in front of us at a time until he returns we're crying out for one soul at a time until he comes back and so can you begin to pray with me and ask God, God. And I was just about sixth, seventh grade when I cried out to God. And I said, God, would you send a college student so that I can support him so that our youth ministry can grow? And I remember in my heart, Holy Spirit saying, you do it. I was like, no, 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 not me. It begins with you. It begins with a humble heart that says, I have nothing to offer you. I have no wisdom to give. I am more selfish than anybody else. But if it is your will, would you? Would you begin the revival with me? However long it takes. Let's pray. Can we pray together? Cry out before the Lord.
Let's take time. I want you to, if you find yourself that you can't pray, it's okay to stand up. And I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God, God, here I am. I have nothing much to offer, but I find you to be the most beautiful. I find you to be someone that I'm intrigued, but yet my heart is filled with fear and doubt about myself, and I need more of you. And so would you speak to me? Would you encourage me? Would you renew this heart Would your perfect love begin to fill my heart so that it casts out fear and that I'm no longer driven by fears and doubts? So let's pray together. Would you ask the Holy Spirit, would you ask him, God, who is it that you have placed in my life? Who are the people that you're asking me and calling me to love? Who are the one, the two, the three? that in all of my imperfections, that in all my failures and in all my doubts, Pastor David, Larry to come. And as he does, would you take time to really go before God with the friends that are around you, maybe even the counselors that you have spent this entire week with, Maybe coming around together as a group and saying, here are the things that I've shared with your heart and this is a time that I need you to be there for me in prayer. 
I need you to be there in strength with me as I seek God and I ask him, would you send me, would you send me wherever you need me, in my youth group, in my home, would you let me be the light? Would you let me go and reconcile with my dad? Would you reconcile with my brother, my sibling, the person at my church? Would you lead me with the strength to do that which you asked me to do, to love one person at a time in front of me? But I need you. I need my brothers and sisters around me to encourage and pray and strengthen me as I share my fears and as I share my needs and that together we will, as a church, begin to heal all the sorrows in this world that it is with this that the church will begin to heal the sorrows and the brokenness of this world that as we love one, two, three person in front of us, And so we need one another. And so would you come together, one, two, three of you, and say, I need you to come alongside of me. Pray with me as I seek to reconcile, as I seek to receive and work and serve and disciple and love the two, three people at our church, the two, three people at my school, the two, three people at my work. I need that courage and I need that accountability. I need your prayers. So if you can, just rise up, come around together, whether it's in your group, in your church, your friends, your family, whoever you are, just come together and begin to cry out together and tell one another, I need prayer for my father. I need prayer to love my mother. I need prayer to love the broken people in my church. So can you do that? Just rise up. And begin to pray and cry out for one another.